Hello and welcome back to the Public Eye Business Podcast brought to you by Granite Exchange. I'm your host, Sarah Travers. Great to be back with you. And throughout this series, I will be speaking with local entrepreneurs and business owners to learn more about how their companies have come to be, to gain insight into their growth and find out how they continue to innovate. So wherever you get your podcasts from, remember to keep an eye out for all new episodes and subscribe to stay up to date. Well, today in the studio, I'm joined by Andrew Kelly, owner of 8590. Andrew, you're very welcome to the podcast. How are you? Very well, Sarah. Thank you for having me. 8590. I'm intrigued. I'll I'll ask you about that in a minute. But before we begin our conversation, a little bit of background on Andrew and his business. So following a decade in the world of PR and comms, Andrew set up his own digital content production company at the start of 2020. He's a completely self-taught cameraman and editor. Working as a client manager and in-house videographer, he's been fortunate enough to work with some of the world's leading brands, such as Miss Universe, Lego, Levi's, ITV, Danske Bank, Kurt Geiger, and many, many more. Andrew, it sounds like you have a fantastic life. I'm glad that sounds that way, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> the intros are always brilliant, aren't they? People sit across from me and go, is that me? So fabulous customers and clients right there. But I suppose we'll go back a little further and, and, and tell us how it began. Because you were in PR and comms for a long time. So you know what makes a good ad and what connects with audiences. Absolutely, yeah. I think that experience has really served me well in, in this current role in this business. Um, like you say... Uh, the that sector in particular changes quite a lot and it's very fast paced so it's important about keeping up with trends and, and what's changing and how consumers are being targeted and, and and how that digital marketing sphere is changing so yeah it's it, it's served me well and certainly 10 years of experience when you 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 read back that list of some of the clients working with like you say it, it's very hard to to believe that that's actually happened there's certainly some pinch me moments uh, some days and I, su- I suppose pinch me moments as well when you know that you've been working in one area but you want to jump and you want to go out on your own and you want to set up a business and there'll be many people tuning into this podcast today perhaps feeling I want to do that but I don't know whether I should jump. So you know we do ask that big question at the end of the podcast but I suppose tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are today. Yeah, okay. Um, so I've just recently turned 33. Um, I grew up in Ballyclare with mum, dad, older brother. Uh, now I live in Molusk with my wife and my two dogs. And so it seems like a, a fairly normal lifestyle, but sort of to get to this point, um, it's sort of been a bit of a windy road. So I graduated from Ulster University in public relations. And like most graduates still today, I, I find that challenge of actually getting a job very tough because I was looking for three, four, five years experience. And coming straight out of uni, that's very, very hard to, to come by. So the pathway I sort of took was slightly winding in that I did a lot of volunteer work, worked with a lot of charities, and done a number of roles in terms of marketing and comms. Um, so I wouldn't have said it was the most enjoyable years. It was a bit of a grind, to be honest, but I knew that's what I had to do in order to get that experience, to get that foot in the door um, with an agency. And at that time, I suppose, the, the competition for those jobs, because it was a really popular course to do, and a lot of people were going into that comms world. Yes, no, absolutely. And uh, at that time, it was very much a, a female-dominated industry, and oh. I suppose to this day, it, it still is very female-focused. So it is. So um, 
just to get that foot in the door and, and, and get that opportunity was very tough. You know, it, it was just constant rejection, which you can understand. You're trying to apply for jobs that are asking for a lot of experience and uh, you're not really getting anywhere. It'd be very easy just to give up or completely change paths. Why but do you think it was female dominated? Or is, is is that still the case? I think to some degree, yes, it is. Um, it's very much, uh, I think it's portrayed the PR industry as very sort of female dominated and glitzy and glamorous. And I guess um, I find that to be sort of almost a bit of a, a front. So it was because that's how it, it's pictured. Everyone's at glamorous parties and opening of new bars and restaurants. And while that's true to some degree, mm. I think it's very misleading and, Certainly there's a lot of hard work involved in it. Those occasions maybe are once in a blue moon. Um, so and also the glitz and glam, actually. There's loads of hard work that goes on behind those two to, to make them to make everybody have a fabulous time. It takes a lot of hard work. Absolutely. So I how, think, well, how did you break through? Yeah, so I think um, luckily my break sort of came. I'd seen an agency advertising for a junior role and I thought this is my chance I'm going to go for this and again I, I didn't really have high hopes because there had been so much rejection for pretty much 18 months straight in terms of trying to break into this sector. Um, I was with the Belfast agency, it was very well known, um, I had my interview and the manager at the time said to me afterwards, he says listen I think you're a really good candidate for this job, um, I would really like to have you in my team, I want to get you back second interview and, and meet the MD. So. That all went and happened very fast. Um, I was made a job offer the very next day um, for it. And sort of my surprise was that I was offered the job. Um, It wasn't that I doubted my abilities, but I guess after 18 months of being rejected, Mm -hmm. um, it it was sort of a bit of a shock. So the manager said to me, listen, what set you apart from everyone else in this interview was all that grinding. You had done all the volunteer work um, because people were coming in. They had two, three years, their CV blank. And when they were asked what they had been doing, you know, they hadn't been doing anything was the thing. But the fact I had went out and volunteered so much of my time to build that skill set that is needed for that industry, that certainly was was the difference maker. So when somebody actually told you that, that that's one thing. But did you, was that a bit of a, oh, a light bulb for you? Had you reached that point perhaps where you were thinking, gosh, maybe I should pick something else or talk us through that journey of resilience yeah certainly and and I think that journey of resilience even to this day has been a a continued theme um, in my life as well as personal and business Um, but certainly it would be very easy to you know give up that that pursuit to get into that industry and certainly to to take a a nine to five job in a Tesco's or or something like that you know would have been very easy but um, that was my passion at the time and that's what I wanted to do. You know, I didn't spend three years at university and, and do all this just to give up at the last hurdle, I think. So for me, that probably would have been my last hurrah in terms of trying to break into that industry. I probably would have refocused the next year and, and perhaps moved into something different. But at least I can say I tried and I failed. And but great for other people listening to this to, to hear that too, because mm. a lot of people expect instant success or it's just going to happen. Mm. Um, and I suppose jobs are quite plentiful at the minute. And I'm thinking of younger people going out now and there there are so many different agencies. But yeah. it, when you were starting out, mm. there weren't. Um, but you did it mm. and you got in. What was it like? Yeah, so it was a bit of a culture shock because agency life is very fast paced. So it is. So... In any one day, you could be juggling maybe 10, 15 clients um, doing different projects, different work, lots of very fast-paced deadlines as well. So for me, that was my first 
big sort of nine to five type job and, and going into an agency where I was the second youngest person there um, also was very daunting. Um, a lot of people in suits, very corporate environment. Um, it, it was eye-opening. Um, the people I was working with were all sort of late 20s, early 30s, mid 30s and you could tell straight away there was a real hunger and desire from those people um, to be successful and at times you did feel the pressure of it being there, just even the atmosphere in the, in the office. But I think, you know, when you see those people, they were inspiring because mm. that was the level you wanted to get to. And that drive and determination. But I suppose it's um, it, it's a good time to perhaps talk about what is success anyway? What does success look like? Does it look like a power suit and somebody who's just nailing it every day? Or, you know, have you learned mm. as you've gone on and started up your own business? There's no suit in front yeah. of me today. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's not what success looked like for you. Yeah, I mean... Uh, you ask anyone what success looks like to them and you'll get a different answer every single time. And, uh, you know, success can be measured in a lot of different ways. But one quote that's always stuck with me throughout the years, it was actually um, Paul O'Connell, ex-Irish uh, rugby okay. captain, said that, uh, you know, f- success for him was always, you know, having a trophy at the end of the season or having a medal. Anything less was always a failure to him. And it wasn't until he was very much at the end of his career that he sort of realised that, Success is very much about being the best version of yourself. If you know you're giving 110% in whatever it is you're doing, that's good enough. You don't need a medal or trophy to, to be successful. There's a great um, quote from the poet Maya Angelou as well about success. And she says, you know, success is fundamentally liking yourself, liking what you do and liking how you do it. Mm. So that, that kind of resonated with me too. Mm. But I think you have to go through lots of things because when you're younger and you're starting out, you're not really considering that. You're just trying to do a good job, aren't you, and turn up. And, mm. yeah, you might have your own goals and, and aspirations, but mm. a lot of people are people-pleasing. Absolutely, yeah. 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 Okay, so let's move on then. When did you decide to start up your own business? I would say the idea sort of first came to my mind around 2018, 2019. Um, I've always liked that idea of being my own boss um, something that's very appealing to me so I would say I started to really seriously think about it in the summer of 2019 so it came about really one day I was doing a project for Bob and Burt's the coffee shop chain um, up in Portrush and I remember just it was a two day project just out on the road with those guys and the very first day it was Beautiful, sunny August day, sitting on the beach in Portrush, eating my lunch, and I just thought... Perfect. You know, the, the, this is what it should be. You know, it shouldn't be a, a, an eight-pound sandwich sitting in an office uh, in the centre of Belfast, you know, feeling that pressure. So from that moment, I just sort of thought, you know, I like working to my own schedule, my own time. Um, just sort of that stress of agency life. You're on call 24-7. Any agency, you know, if your phone rings Christmas Day, you pick it up and you answer it. Um, there's days where I was in Tesco's with uh, a trolley full of shopping and had to leave behind for some poor person to put back because the agency just sort of demands almost your soul. Um, mm-hmm. So it does. So uh, that's sort of high-pressured life. Uh, you know, I've done it for the best part of six years and I, I give a lot of myself mm-hmm. to the company in that industry in particular. So, yeah, that was sort of the light bulb moment where I thought I I could really be out doing this myself. And if I'm being completely honest with myself, by that point, I'd sort of lost my passion for PR and the industry itself because I felt I had achieved everything I wanted to achieve, mm-hmm. um, which is no bad thing. Um, I, I guess it's a bit like 
the footballer who's won everything at a football club, does he or she stay and continue at that club or do they move on to a new challenge? And I sort of felt that was sort of my time. I, I'd done everything I wanted to do. There's nothing really more left for me to achieve there. And I guess the second part of that is people in the company had moved on and I was moving up into that sort of management level and then there was more junior staff coming in. And again, more junior staff, you could see the passion there. And my thinking is, is it right for me to stay in a company where I'm not really passionate about and I'm prohibiting these people from moving up in the company? So I guess there's a bit of that as well. And I guess, you know, when you're getting junior staff in saying that they were born in 2005, that really uh, scares you and, and thinks ah. that I've been here too long. <laughs> so it is. So, so yeah, those were those were all sort of key factors. And, and that, I would say, was sort of the, the first time that the ball really started to move in in terms of taking this seriously. So what did you do next? Um, I went home and told my wife. Mm-hmm. And uh, she sort of gave me a look and said, what do you think you're doing? <laughs> kind of thing. I guess the concern was, you know, we were both in very well-paying jobs and, you know, I'd worked so hard to get to this point. Um, and she was just very scared, I think, mm-hmm. of me going out and, and and things not working out for me, which I can completely understand. You know, if the shoe's on the other foot, I, I would be the same. So we sort of had uh, talks about what I wanted to do and, and, and why I wanted to leave. And then, I guess, it was telling my employer at the time that this was what um, I, w- I was thinking of doing and, and, ho- and hoping to do and, and hoping to get their support um, w- with that. I can't help but notice the start date of the start of 2020 when you decided to go out on your own. Mm-hmm. Eek, just yeah. before COVID or had this happened or was Two weeks before COVID. Okay, mm. right. Talk so me through that. So basically the, the wheels were in motion at the end of 2019 um, for me to, to leave the company and the recruitment process had started and the plan was in place for me to go down to part-time hours to still help them in terms of a handover of the big client accounts and also to give me time to build up my new business. So in theory, that was all perfect. Um, December 2019, I had a very short conversation at the time um, with management. I was basically told that... Uh, we don't think this is the right move for you. Uh, we don't think it's going to succeed. And I guess that was really the moment that lit a fire under me. And I was like, I'm going to make this succeed and I'm going to do this. So, wow. I am. so 2020 came around and that Christmas period was spent working on a website, working on branding, getting business cards made up, uh, making a list of everything I would need to, to start a business. Uh, so January came around and I approached Invest NI and went to Mollusk Enterprise Agency and joined the GoFert program. So again, I went in, I had a list of all the equipment I'd need, all the costs, and very quickly we put together a business plan and, and the wheels were in motion very fast. So definitely... You'd uh, recommend that as a, as oh, a, ab- a route? A, a, absolutely. I mean, that program was free to join and the amount of advice I got out of it and there was grants available as well to help with the business. So certainly that was a, a massive help to get started because coming out of that corporate world I, I didn't have any idea about bookkeeping and invoicing and, and tax returns and, and all that fun stuff so and it's so important I actually did the same course when I set up my business and yeah, they were talking double dutch to mm-hmm. me but you know it was something I had to concentrate on to try and make myself understand business yeah absolutely because it, it's fundamentally people say to me you're out on your own and I'm saying yeah but I, I'm not just the owner I'm the cameraman I'm the editor I'm the accountant I'm the marketeer you know I'm, I'm juggling 10 different hats here That's it. so I am so so that was January of 2020 and then February came around and 
that was when I really started to sort of market the business as, as this is something new and fresh that's coming out. And very quickly, there was, there was work came in. So for March, April, May 2020, I had seven and a half grand of work lined up and in, in the diary. So March, April, May, we're in the midst of a pandemic. But do you mm-hmm. think that, I mean, that was actually a good time for you because video was everywhere. People were stuck at home. They were on their phones. Mm-hmm. And they were being inundated with yeah. all sorts. I mean, was that actually a good thing? Yeah, so before sort of the pandemic hit, you know, that was a fantastic start. You know, seven and a half grand of work already confirmed and in the, in the diary. So it was, so that, that was brilliant. And then I just remember sort of March time, um, COVID was sort of starting to come around. And I was going to be in Scotland working with a client and I got a text the day before just saying, do not come, this is, is kicking off. We think this is really serious, oh. so stay at home. So that that was fine, and a few days later, then I just started getting phone calls from people I booked for the next three months, just cancelling everything. Oh, okay. So I had so then that wasn't a good thing. <laughs> no, and that day didn't get any better because then the company I was employed by at the time called me and said we're putting you on furlough, and that was the last day I ever worked for them. So, in the space of a day, I went from working a sixty-hour week, being on call twenty-four-seven, to literally nothing overnight. So very much. And that order book then just suddenly disappeared? Completely disappeared. Everyone cancelled. A lot of it was event-based work, and it was work in Scotland and here as well, and and just everything completely shut down. So it did, so I'm sitting scratching my head thinking... What have I done? I've I've left a good job. I've lost all this work. Where do I even go? And certainly, I think, for March, April, May time, I struggled a lot with depression Mm -hmm. um, because couldn't go anywhere, couldn't do anything. I was used to being so busy and never being in my house, um, to being stuck there constantly all the time. And I think that had a, a big impact on personal relationships um, yeah. as much as the business side of things. And it's very tough. So it was um, just to, to get through those months knowing that, you know, uh, there's no sign of this sort of ending anytime soon. I mean, there was days where I would literally count down the hours that I could go to bed because I knew when I went to sleep, I didn't have to worry about oh. money. Uh, and, and but Andrew, yeah. I'm sure you weren't alone in that. It's just the timing of everything. Yeah. And that compounded by you had a dream, it was mm. all in place, and yeah. it just disappeared. Now, <laughs> you're sitting in front of me today telling me about this great business. Mm. So what happened? How did you come back? Yeah, so I think um, people say I'm mad when I say this, but I think the pandemic was probably the best thing that could have ever happened in my business. Not for the, the sort of emergence of digital and video, but more it gave me the chance to really take a step back from the business and look at it and say right, where do I want to take this business? Who do I want to work with? Because when I went out, I was solely focused on corporate video work and that's all I wanted to do. Right. Obviously, pandemic hit. That w- work wasn't there. It, so it you had to pivot, you had to think differently. Absolutely. I, I was looking in the new markets and people and sectors I'd never worked with and right, how do I work with these people? So it was sort of looking ahead and, and sort of following that reopening plan of you know what sectors are, are going to be reopening. Like I need to approach these people because they're the ones that need to be coming out and saying our restaurant, our hotel, whatever it may be, is safe. And, and here's, you know, the videos, the photos of, of all these measures in place. So there's very much a tactic there of sort of approaching those sectors as they were allowed to reopen. But it became clear very fast to me that there was a real need for more than just video content for people. So people were coming to me asking for photography. People were coming and saying, we don't know how to use Facebook, Twitter, or whatever, you know, can you teach us how to use this? So very fast, I developed what I call my product life cycle. So um, 
people either come and they know how to use things very well or they haven't a clue what to do. So there's very much a teaching element to begin with um, with people and then once they get the content, they know how to use it and how to use it effectively. It's an important thing. So there's very much a hand-holding process there along the way. But I think in terms of the business and the product offering, the pandemic really accelerated the plans for the business, probably three, four years of what I had planned. And the breadth of offering. You know, it's not just putting your eggs all in one basket, Absolutely. which I've said before on this podcast, which is, is a lesson that I learned as well. Okay, I want to talk a bit more about the products in mm-hmm. a second, but how did you pick yourself up at that time, get your head so screwed on and market that new business? How did you reach people or did you suddenly realise, I have all these contacts? I guess there's a bit of both. Um, uh, Ten years in that sector, you make a lot of contacts and you build a big network of people. Um, you know, there's still people who I maybe haven't worked with in two, three years I'll reach out and still do work because it's off-past experience of, of delivering good work and projects for them and, and they know and trust you to to do those work um, for them. So certainly there's a, a big element of relying on an older network. But mm-hmm. in terms of marketing the business, I think it was very much putting it out there that this was sort of a one-stop shop for, for digital marketing. You know, people could come to me and, and get all these different things. And yeah, it was tough to begin with because there's a lot of people doing the same thing that I do. And especially over lockdown, a lot of people were picking up cameras and phones. And uh, That's right, doing thing, it themselves. Yeah, doing it themselves. And I guess that was... Until t- they realised, actually, you know, those ones that weren't very good at it, I need some help here. Yeah, yeah. It, it looks a lot easier than, than what it is sometimes. And, and certainly oh, that's yeah. that's what I find. Um, you know, people were approaching me saying, you know, they had tried it themselves and failed and were looking a little more help with it. This podcast is sponsored by Granite Legal Services, a niche business and immigration law practice located in the heart of Newry City. Granite Legal Services provides legal advice to both individuals and companies alike across a wide range of industries, from employment, commercial or corporate law matters to immigration law. Granite Legal Services focuses on providing legally sound, practical advice to its clients. To get in touch, visit www.granitelegalservices.co.uk or contact 028 So can you remember that first kind of sale, if you like, or that first client that yeah. sort of got you going again? Yeah, I think probably the, the first project we did would have been in July of, of 2020. I was with a local gym in Molusk and, uh, you know, they were reopening again and they, they had this obviously show how they were bringing sort of these restrictions in to, to, to reopen. And certainly there was a, a lot of work went into them and, and they would be still one of my best clients. Um, so they would be. So I think, you know, when you're actually out in the field then and you have all the equipment sort of like, right, this is it, this is, mm-hmm. it's starting. So it is. So I think that was sort of the feel good moment. And then that sort of went on, on a bit of a roll then and th- Certainly word of mouth is, is particularly good for my business. Um, Absolutely. And, and, and even that gym showcasing all the yeah. people that were coming back in, see the videos, they look at the Facebook page, they mm-hmm. look at the Instagram, you know, yeah. it's all there. Absolutely. And, and it looks beautiful. So you're actually, <laughs> it's what you do well. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, it's a bit of a strange place to network, but, you know, you can be <laughs> on, on the treadmill and then someone who's beside you maybe owns an accountancy firm exactly. or something. They say, that, you know, I've seen your work for the gym. I'm interested in getting something for my Brilliant. own business. So that was really, I think, the the moment that it, things started to pick up. Um, That's so brilliant. And you're self-taught as well, cameraman and editor. At what point did you do all of this? 
Um, it was when I was still working in the agency, so I took up photography as a bit of a hobby, mm-hmm. and so I did. And then there was a bit of a change in management within the company, and a new line manager came in and sort of said, we want to create video, um, and I want you to take ownership of it and, and run with it. So we started out with an old iPhone 5 and a £10 microphone and tripod from, from Amazon, and, and that was how we, we started out. But I thought there's a real market for this to do it more professionally. So the, the agency invested in camera equipment and, and a bit more for professional setup. So I thought, all right, I need to invest in myself now. So it was basically sitting watching YouTube videos, um, reading articles. And, and even to this day, I find if I don't know how to do something, YouTube is straight away the place to go because there's always an answer there. So mm-hmm. definitely that was very much a learning curve. But again, very much still learning. It's one of those sectors that you never stop learning in. No, and it's changed so much as well. There's always some new piece of kit. And if you even just look over the last 20 years when I kind of started in broadcasting, uh, you know, everything was still analog at that point. And then the digital transformation happened. And, you know, now a journalist to get a job anywhere needs to be able to gather content for so many you know platforms you're not just going out and doing a radio interview or a, a press interview it's filming at the same time editing clips mm. it's 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 the whole shebang absolutely i think very much whenever i graduated and i was looking to get a job in that pr world it's sort of the main skill sets where you have to be able to write and, and that was really it yeah um yeah, but you've got it all now, you see. And you must have had that creative flair too because there are certain people, I'm not great with the old technology. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you've got to love it because it can be terribly frustrating at times too, Absolutely. can't it? Absolutely. <laughs> and I think, do you think that a lot of people don't appreciate the, the amount of work that goes into producing a video? I mean, how do you discipline mm-hmm. yourself to, you know, to stick to a certain amount of time per mm-hmm. client? Because you, the client mightn't see all of the hours that you're putting in. Yeah, I think that's what I've come to find with clients is whenever you give them a quote for a job or a project, if they turn around and say, no, that's too much, they're not the client for me. Not because they don't agree with the fee, but because they don't see the added value I bring to projects. So not only is that 10 years of experience coming with me and my connections, but they don't see the time that I spend away from my family learning and upskilling. They don't appreciate the training and everything that went into that. So, you know, the perfect client for me appreciates that and and sees the real added value. What is that. what do you bring to a company, an organisation, an individual? I think it's it's almost that hand-holding um, approach. So it's very much, some people will approach me and they have a very clear idea of a project that they want to do and I'll discuss it with them and break it down where I think it's good and where it's bad. And some people have very good ideas, some people come in with very terrible ideas. And uh, <laughs> part of my role, it's not just to show up and hit record or take a nice photo, it's to be an advisor as well and that's, been the last 10 years of my life as well it's advising people whether they want to hear it or not you know you sometimes used to have to tell a ceo that they were wrong and you were right and that was very tough especially being a 23 24 year old but i think that's put me in good stead for now well you've got that experience you see and i just think that what you've got is the whole package because you're able to communicate with the client you're able to understand the vision Sometimes when you work with technical people, they can be so into the art and making it look beautiful and whatever. But, you know, what's the script like? What message are you saying? And also, hello, would you mind talking to me (laughs) (laughs) and and, and tell me how it's going? So you've got to be able to communicate as well with the client. Because the client is giving you the money and you've got to look after them. But you've got to Mm. they've got to trust you to 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 do it right. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think clear lines of communication setting those expectations from the outset are, are extremely important with any client so 
one uh, name jumps out there, Miss Universe. Can I ask you a little bit about that? Yes, yeah, so certainly um, if you were saying to me, a, a boy that grew up in polyclerapy working with Miss Universe, um, you know, that's a definite uh, pinch me moment, so it is. So it all came about a couple of years ago. I was introduced to the then Miss Universe Ireland um, by, uh, by a friend. And through them, we just sort of connected and, and started building a friendship and uh, just sort of talking about everyday life and, and sort of how we could work together maybe at some point down the line. And that's where it went on for maybe six, seven months. And because of the pandemic, nothing really took off from there. Um, and then I remember one night I was replying to, to Instagram messages and I noticed I had a notification in my request folder on the business account. So I went into it and I seen this name. It said Brittany Mason and there was a message and the photo on, on the message, this girl was a, a 12 out of 10, like supermodel. <laughs> 11, I thought, this is a catfish. I'm deleting yeah. this straight away. Yeah. So I swiped to delete it and then I sort of noticed the account had a blue tick on it. And I sort of thought, hmm, mm. that's a bit strange. You know, that it's an official account. And then I thought, I'm going to delete it. And then I thought, no, at least I'll take a look at it. And I opened it and there it said, Miss Universe Ireland CEO on the account and I linked to this woman's page that had like her acting credentials and all her supermodel photos and, and all this. So I thought, this is very strange that this person's contacting me. So it is. So basically the message said, you know, introduced herself and says, I know you're friends with Nadia, who was Miss Universe Ireland at the time, and says, I'm looking some work done in Ireland. Would you be able to help us out? Gosh, amazing. Just so shows you building those relationships and having those conversations. Absolutely. And check your message request folder as <gasps> the, the main thing. So she just said, you know, come and come we grab a chat. So we jumped on uh, FaceTime and, and, and had a call for uh, probably about half an hour. And she, I think she was in Florida at the time. You know, I'm sitting in my office in Molusk. And uh, again, I, part of me again was thinking that this can't be real. So I know. Can't. You're going to have loads of people now opening things that they shouldn't <laughs> be opening. You know, yeah. the way hackers don't, rubbing don't, their don't hands. Don't clink on links. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, certainly that was sort of a, a real shock to the system, having something like that come on board. And, and a real boost. Absolutely, a real boost. And, and, you know, we've done sort of two, three projects for, for Miss Universe at the minute. And when you sort of look at one of those projects was filming a, a VT package and, and doing some uh, cutaway shots for the Miss Universe Island of that year, um, Catherine Walker uh, from Cool FM. So we were doing some shots and sent that away and the Miss Universe team then edited it all together for us. So we, we had the easy job doing the filming, none and of the none editing. None of the editing, wait, wow, wait, <laughs> result. Wait, wait, which is the dream job. And uh, <laughs> You know, Miss Universe has watched on average fifty-five million people watch Gosh. it every year. So to have our stuff on screen and and that be played and have that many eyeballs on it is sort of a, an incredible moment. So, in terms of achievement, so the last sort of two and a half to three years, I think that's definitely up there along with the TV credentials. Um, I guess when you say you know you're, you're working with brands like that, it, it really hits home that yes, this is a, a viable business now, and it's great to to be able to work with those guys. And on the TV uh, side of things, could we look out for anything? Is any of your work out there at the minute? Uh, we, we did stuff for Pride of Britain. Um, there some cutaway footage of, of, of a local nominee um, that was produced there. And we'd done some stuff uh, last year for one of the Sunday morning uh, programmes. Mm -hmm. They were doing a, a tour um, of Belfast and doing some of the, the street arts. So we were doing stuff with uh, one of our clients, Danny Simpson, and uh, those guys. So... Yeah, certainly there is stuff out there, but it's amazing. Yes, your name is literally on screen for probably less than a second, but it's still there. So um, certainly when that program aired, I, I 
was getting the selfies beside the TV with, with the name on screen. And, and certainly, yes, you know, um, those moments make me extremely proud to think of of how far the business has come in that period when we really look at 10 months of the, the first year of business was spent in lockdown and we're fast approaching our 100th client. So we are. So to, to really take sort of 10 months out of that two and a half years in that time period to nearly be hitting that 100 client mark is something I'm extremely proud of. Um, how quickly do your, ex- your clients expect to see results then? Or what's the typical mm. way that you work? Yes, yeah, so in terms of results for clients, I think it very much depends on what the actual project is for the client. Um, you know, some clients will see very, very quick results um, when they put their content out. Some clients, it's a bit more of a slow burn. Um, for example, uh, one of my clients is a private investment company in Belfast. So their work is not essentially for a, a quick result, but, you know, they may have a testimonial of a client that they've provided investment to. And that piece of content is carried around on an iPad to meetings for 18 months. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they may not necessarily get something right away, but in 18 months' time, you, you know, that's a, a long-term piece of content for them. So results can vary. Um, my mantra is quick turnaround with work because I think clients should get to work in a very quick period. Um, and now I'm not saying sacrifice quality just to get it back to a client. Um, for example, at the start of December there, we were doing... a powerlifting competition and basically everyone that competed um, had the opportunity to get photographs, videos, whatever um, taken in the competition so we had 13 clients um, booked us for that event so the first day was 14 hours of filming, second day was six and a half hours of filming so very time intensive long long days and within 72 hours of that competition ending we had over 300 photos and 13 videos out to clients. You did not? So, oh, yeah. I can't get my head around that. Oh, Did you have help? So, yes. Yeah, so um, towards the end of last year, I brought uh, another photographer on board with me, um, Robbie Gallagher. He's a super talented guy. Um, now Robbie's just ad hoc basis. He's not a full-time employee, but he helps me on bigger projects. So for that um, particular project, Robbie looked after all the photography. I did all the video because to juggle them at the same time, I've tried it before and it's very, mm. very difficult. So it is. Um, you're, you're normally lying on a, a hard wooden floor afterwards for a couple of days with ice packs um, because you're, you're just constantly on the go. So um, that certainly was a, a massive help in December. But for that, you know, it's important those guys dedicate so much time prepping for a competition like that, that the content should be with them within two, three days instead of waiting four weeks to get their content to then say, here's something that did a month ago kind of thing. So Incredible. Incredible turnaround. Um, your five core products then, your mm-hmm. videography, your photography, your social media workshops that you do, mm-hmm. your content audits and drone work. I mm-hmm. had a little Google, you see. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you offer all of these. So if yeah. anybody's listening now and thinks mm-hmm. like, I'd, I'd really love to take my business to the next level and, and think about imagery mm-hmm. or think about my social media, yeah. what should they do? What would you be telling them to do apart from pick up the phone? P- p- pick up the phone <laughs> and book me. Uh, <laughs> certainly, um, it's the way the world is going. Sort of the pandemic has really accelerated how businesses market themselves. And it still amazes me how many businesses I speak to and they either don't have social media or they still don't have a website and it's it's 2023. Um, really? You know, they yeah. still don't have a digital presence? Yeah, and a, a lot of the time that is, you know, family-run businesses, you know, uh, the the dad who might be in his late 70s is, is still heading up the company and, and sort of saying, well, you know, we've always relied on people coming through the door or word of mouth to, to get business out there and yes, well, that may still work. It's... You know, you have to drag some companies into the new era and sort of really sell digital platforms to them and, and how they benefit from it. 
Yes, and I suppose it is that understanding of the difference that it can make. You also, though, could pay somebody an awful lot of money to produce a wonderful video for you, Mm. put it on your website, and nobody sees it. Nobody sees it, exactly. So you think beyond that, you think, where's this going to go, and you measure results? Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, It's very much, it can't be a one-hit wonder. You know, just producing one video is rarely ever going to land you massive results that you want to see. It has to be a continuous thing. And part of a strategy. It has to be a long-term strategy because, you know, you can't just post one thing and then disappear for a month and, and, and have no online presence. So there very much needs to be a plan in place there. And, and that's one of the things I say to clients is, you know, I can come in and I can shoot a one-off video or do one-off photos and that's it. I'm I'm happy to do it if mm-hmm. that's what you want. But why don't we spend the day and shoot a bank of content that can be released over weeks, over months, and you're getting more value? Because you're still going to pay me to be there to shoot one video. I may as well be there for a day and... We get a lot of content and that maybe works against me because I maybe don't hear from those clients for three, four months, but they still have that bank of content to use and they always come back, which is the main thing. Fantastic. And so you're nearly three years in business now. Yeah. Um, any regrets? Um, I think life's too short to have regrets. I think if you're always looking back and thinking, I wish I'd done this, then you're you're losing sight on looking forward. And I think... Certainly, I don't have any regrets. I definitely don't miss sitting in traffic in the morning. I don't miss those 60-hour weeks. You know, there's a really good balance in my life now. Um, I think, no, no no regrets. I think the main thing for me is that I have that balance now and I work to my own schedule and I want to work with the people I want to work with. I'm not told to go here and do this and do that. And um, Would you like to expand further? I mean, you've got mm-hmm. Robbie already doing the yeah. photos, but would you like to take more people on? I think in the long term, yeah, bringing those people on for, for projects on an ad hoc basis, definitely it, it's the way to go. There's so many talented people here. Um, Great to collaborate rather than employ. Absolutely, yeah. And and that's one of the things I actually looked at as well as sort of last year was building those networks and connections out to offer wider services. So, um, you know, I have a, a website builder, I have design and graphics people, I have a PR person, I have an event management person. So if someone comes to me and, you know, they're they're looking at a new website because they're doing a rebrand and they're having an event instead of just selling them one product I can upsell them three products and again we all pass work between ourselves and it's people I've worked with in the past and really trust so there's very much an element there of a full service there so people maybe come to me looking one thing and you can upsell three or four things to them and again it's all kept sort of very tight knit and uh, there's a very strong network in Northern Ireland of creative people Um, and it is fabulous to hear that you Mm. all I suppose, look out for each other and help each other. Um, where did the name come from, 8590? Okay, so whenever the business first started, it was just called AK Videography, so my initials on videography, so it really was, it does what it says on the tin. Um, and then after the first year, with these other offerings, it became very clear that that name was not sustainable. Um, I guess one of the long-term visions I had for the business was potentially building it to a point where I would sell it, and it's very hard to sell a business with your own initials in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I thought I need a name that sort of is a bit nondescript and I worked with my brand and designer team and we sort of did a bit of market research and looked at what other people were, were calling their businesses and how they were promoting themselves and there was very much a, a copy and paste element of everything. You know, everything was digital production creations. There was nothing that really stood out as different. So 85, 90, 85 is the year my brother was born, 90 was the year I was born. Um, So it it just made sense. It's always been a number that's sort of been with us since Uh, childhood. And again, 
it could be anything. It could be a, a drinks brand. It could be a hotel. It could be a restaurant. It really could be anything. And, and it piques curiosity. <laughs> exactly. And that's the, the biggest thing because when I'm speaking at events or I'm at networking events or exhibiting, people always come over and that's the first thing they ask is, what is it you do? And, and ah. what do you mean? The cars brand it as well with uh, the 8590 as well. And you see people at traffic lights sort of looking at it. And then, and then you see the, the sort of the boost in the web traffic then at night. Um, oh, do you? People. So they go home and they have a little Yeah, search. Yeah. So I, I was doing work in Dublin um, last November and I had parked the car in a very prominent place in Dublin. And, and the next day I just happened to check and there was a lot of IP addresses from Dublin had, had been Googling me. Um, which good. Which were well. So they always say your branding should be very obvious and clear, but I thought the complete opposite. So... Yeah, I think, you know, if you're exhibiting somewhere and you have photo or video in your name, if people aren't looking for that service, they walk straight on past. But now, nine times out of ten, people come over and it starts that conversation and that's when you really can get personal with people and and sort of do that that pitch to them and it really sparks conversation. So, yeah, the, the branding was very good. It was, it was done by my friends at, at Clever Ghost. Um, so uh, they did a great job with it and, and certainly it's it's it, it's worked well so far nice plug for them too what then would you say andrew makes your services unique and different from a very competitive market now yeah i would even call it an oversaturated market Mm. so i would now um i think bringing that experience and that network with me is very much very appealing um i i still get people asking me to do their pr for them and their marketing and i have said no i'm i'm retired from that life now and so i'm but again I can get a call from a client saying, you know, do you know a journalist in this newspaper that I can speak to? And certainly they're still in the little black book and I can help them out that way. So I can. So mm-hmm. I think having that wider experience, that skill set is very unique. I don't think there's really anyone else. I'm very surprised if there is anyone with that sort of skill set here. Um, but again, I think it's just that added value that I bring. And like I said, the added value is is why people choose to come to me um, over other people. I think price point as well um, that was one of the first objectives I sort of set with the business was I wanted my business to really help start up small businesses and and be at a price point that was easily accessible for them because when I did my research and spoke to these companies they were telling me they were getting quotes from people for two three thousand pound to produce 60 second videos and I just thought that's astronomical. Uh, so it is for it. So I, I really seen that there was a market here to help these businesses grow. So what would we be talking price wise now? Mm. It depends who's asking. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, a general rule of thumb. I sort of worked down early rate for projects, and okay. and that's very clearly marked out um, with with clients before we even start projects. So I will give them an idea in terms of what I think it is in terms of hours on site and hours editing, and they're aware that if we go over those hours, it's flagged and. They, they have to pay that additional time. So um, I'd say, you know, a, a couple of hundred pounds is a general ballpark for a very basic starter project. Again, it varies in terms of what the client's looking for and where they're going. I think it's very difficult to do a tiered package um, for projects because people want the gold package, but they want to pay the bronze price with it, um, which is, is very difficult. And I think if you're also saying a 60-second video costs £900, it's very difficult to quantify that because I could be on site for an hour and spend an hour editing and create that length of video and charge nine hundred pound, or I could be on site for six hours yeah, and charge the same amount. So exactly. 
it's very Price hard. per job then, really. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's something Northern Ireland businesses we don't really like talking about and we sort of shy away from is, is yeah. pricing. So yeah. it is. And, and we feel awkward having to go to clients and say, well, actually, this is costing more because you've run up a lot of hours on this project. And, and knowing your worth and absolutely. the value of what, of what you provide. And I think that was something when I started I, I struggled with because I was very much, I need to say yes to everything. No matter what it is, if, you know, I said, this is what it costs, and I says, well, actually, I only have this amount, I was still saying yes, because I wanted to get clients in the door, I wanted to get money coming in. And I got to the point where I realised those weren't the people that I wanted to work with and not the clients I wanted to have in my books, because, again, there was a lack of appreciation there for for my time. So certainly, yeah, it was very much, uh, this is the bottom line, this is it. And, again, if people come back to me and say, we don't have budget for that, I'll happily signpost them to another videographer, another photographer that, that can work within those budgets. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, like you say, it's a very small network and country we have here. You know, it's very easy to get a bad name. Absolutely, it is indeed. So tell us, you know, taking everything into consideration, mm. you, the videographer, the creator, if you like, and you, the business owner, what's your favourite part of all of it and what's your least favourite part of all of it? Um, I think we'll, we'll start with the negative thing. The least favourite is... There's not many, um, but I would say the one thing is probably the unsociable hours you can get with, with being self-employed. Um, you know, I might have a Friday morning off to myself to do whatever I want, and I could be starting a project at 9 o'clock that night and maybe not finished at midnight is the kind of thing. Um, so, for example, the week of Christmas, I had to be at the boulevard for 4 a.m. in the morning to Ooh. help Santa and his elves uh, deliver some presents and, and film it. So <laughs> it was a very, very early wake-up call that morning. Uh, so it was. So I suppose that that's all part and parcel of being self-employed. Um, but I think certainly the most positive thing about it is the range of work and the meeting so many different people from different backgrounds and meeting so many more entrepreneurs and people who are really making a difference with a business you know as much as I enjoy that corporate work I really like working with those businesses and, and local charities that really are making differences in people's lives mm-hmm. I think for it and and certainly yeah I think being in that agency life you're so focused on one sector and and you don't really get that exposure whereas now being on my own uh, I could only dream of working with some of the people that I've worked with. And you have you've worked with some of the world's leading brands as we said at the start Mm -hmm. Miss Universe, Lego, Levi's, ITV, Danske Bank, Kurt Geiger but you're also working with wonderful wonderful organisations at a local level Um, you know which floats your boat more? Um, I guess probably the 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 project fees you get from those big clients are, right, are okay. very attractive, yeah. but um, <laughs> certainly, you know, working with those um, small organisations and one to ones and charities, you know, you see the difference yeah. that's making, and, and certainly you get a that warm fuzzy feeling um, knowing you're you're helping promote such a positive message. So, um, two of the local charities I would work with would be Hope for Life and Cavaliers in Need. So, one of my dogs actually came from Cavaliers in Need oh. that I adopted. So. You know, they do such great work and it, it's nice to be able to, to help them and do that sort of thing. But, you know, if you sat me down here a few years ago and said, you know, you're going to have Miss Universe, ITV, Fibrous, all those sort of companies in your books, I'd sort of pinch myself and say, definitely not. So, Amazing. It, Amazing it, journey you've been on. And one that started, you know, quite dramatically, I suppose, yeah. and then with such downs um, yeah. attached to it. Uh I'd love now just to to inspire others listening to this. So we've kind of come to the end of the podcast, Andrew, and the purpose of 
The Public Eye podcast is to inspire existing business owners and those ambitious entrepreneurs to grow their businesses by offering an insight into the success of businesses such as 8590. So final question, what advice would you give to people who may have a business idea but have no idea where to begin or are unsure as to whether the risk is worth taking? Certainly one of the questions I get asked most when I'm doing speaking events and and speaking to people about entrepreneurship is how do I know when the time's right? And the very simple answer is there's never a right time. You know, there's never a point in life where all the stars will align and there will be nothing that goes wrong. There will always be something to, to put an obstacle in your way. And I think if you don't try, um, you know, you've got to take that leap and believe in yourself and believe in a product and service that, that you're creating and trying to sell. Um, certainly the enterprise agencies um, I've had uh, amazing support and success um, with those guys especially Mollusk Enterprise and Untermint Enterprise in particular Um, especially building connections and getting work referrals through those guys as well has been helpful and certainly the Invest NI programs um, go for it and we're also doing the Optimal program at the moment now with Invest NI so those are free programs with access to business mentors who have been doing this 20, 30, 40 years and it's an external set of eyes in the business and all this is free and I think it, a lot of people don't know about this and, yeah. and when you say to them they're like right, that's interesting you know, some people have never heard of enterprise agencies and certainly the work they do is absolutely fantastic and certainly that's a very good point to to start to even if you just have an inkling of an idea for a business what, what you want to do it doesn't cost anything to go and speak to those guys and say listen this is what I'm thinking of doing one do you think it's a viable business and two how do I get started well it's so certainly the support is there and certainly funding in terms of SMEs and startups there's so many opportunities in Northern Ireland as well and it's certainly a market where I would encourage people to at least try it because worst case scenario you try and you fail but if you don't even try you're failing yourself then. Wow now also in terms of just listening to your story that personal resilience that you've shown right the way through your career to date what advice would you give to people about, you know, sticking at it or mm. knowing when to maybe give up and try something else? Yeah. What message would you have around that? I think particularly in the world of work, when you lose your passion for what it is you're doing, people just do a job because it's a wage. But when you're passionate about a job and you lose that passion, it's nearly impossible to come back from that. And I think that's when you have to decide, do I try and rediscover that passion or do I try and discover passion for something else? It can be very hard and it may take a few jobs and different routes to get there. My road to my business wasn't a, a straight road. You know, there's a few twists and turns and a few jobs in there that I probably wouldn't have liked doing, but again, it was a wage. So I'd certainly say if you're not happy in your job and you think, I want to be doing something else, it's very much, well, look at that step. You know, if you want to take that jump, take that jump. You know, worst case scenario, you take that jump and it doesn't work out, you can always find another job Mm. so you can so but you've moved forward and you've moved somewhere and opportunities will happen andrew kelly owner of 8590 i wish you every success for the future thank you for being a guest on the public eye podcast and to all of you tuning in hope you've enjoyed this edition we'll be back with plenty more very soon this podcast was recorded in granite podcast studio Interested in starting up your own podcast but don't know how? Granite Podcast Studio can help. Record your podcast in our state-of-the-art studio, which is based in the heart of Newry City. Our studio has cutting-edge and user-friendly technology and can seat up to four people. We also provide an editing service, 
for our team using your guidance and editing notes to provide you with a flawless finished product, leaving your listeners wanting more. For more information on how you can get started, visit www.granitepodcaststudio.com.